Support for Terrestrial comes from the Evergreen State College, a public liberal arts college located in Olympia, Washington. Learn more about undergraduate and graduate programs in environmental sustainability, policy, and advocacy at evergreen.edu. You've probably heard that the Trump administration wants to cut funding to the Environmental Protection Agency, including eliminating its Environmental Justice Office. And that news left me wondering, what does this actually mean for people on the ground? Because the effects of pollution and climate change don't affect us all equally. Those who are hit hardest often belong to communities of color and are cash poor, what Majora Carter describes as, quote, low-status communities. She's an urban revitalization strategist, and she's focused her career on environmental justice. Majora was raised in the South Bronx, which she says was considered a poster child for urban blight. She grew up, she went to college, and eventually she came back to New York for grad school, right as the government was about to turn part of her community into a dumping ground. Even though the Bronx handled about 40 percent of the city's um, commercial waste and 100 percent of its own waste, um, we were about to handle possibly another 40 percent of the, of the city's commercial waste. And it was just like, are you crazy? So she decided to stay and resist. I looked at that and thought, wow, this is happening because we happen to be a low-income community of color. The community came together, though, and they got the city to build a park instead of the waste facility. But Majora says all over this country, similar situations continue to happen. And we as a society aren't talking about it enough. And when when you stick race in it and class, but race in particular, we do need to have white people saying this is a problem because it's true. I mean, I'm often the angry black woman, but all I'm literally saying is like, um, Like, this doesn't happen in white neighborhoods. And like, I'm angry. It's like, I don't like it. Today, we're going to hear a story from Birmingham, Alabama, where another community has been struggling with pollution for almost a century. I'm Ashley Ahern, and you're listening to Terrestrial, a show that explores the choices we make in a world we have changed. So we asked another reporter to come help us out with this story. Her name's Ashley Cleek. And Ashley, you're from Birmingham, right? Yep, I grew up there. So what's it like? Why did you decide to focus on this specific neighborhood in North Birmingham for the story? I mean, I so I know the history of the city pretty well. Birmingham is this old steel manufacturing town, and it's been struggling with environmental issues for a while. And these neighborhoods in North Birmingham are some of the city's most industrial areas. In the past, there were steel foundries, cement plants, scrapyards, railroads, and a coke plant that processes coal that's still running. Wow. So where did you grow up in relation to all that? I mean, my family's house was about seven miles away, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the differences between the neighborhoods are pretty stark. Okay. I grew up in the suburbs of Birmingham. These are neighborhoods that formed in the 50s and 60s as white families left the city. They're these leafy green places with lots of running trails and big Tudor homes. And the racial divide is clear to this day. My neighborhood growing up was majority white, and these neighborhoods in North Birmingham are majority black. Okay, so where did you start this story, Ashley? Well, I met this man named Charlie Powell. Powell's in his mid-60s, and he grew up in North Birmingham, so he knows this area really well. I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you a tour of it. When you leave leave me, you're going to have a story to tell. 
<laughs> we get into Powell's car, this really nice baby blue sedan. Powell's got curly hair that's just starting to gray, a black fedora, and a button-up shirt with a palm tree printed on it. And they made a rock curl out of this shelf. Cement goes up through here. This thing's still going on. They don't say nothing about that. See that? Smoking the gas. So we're driving around the neighborhood, and you know, some houses are these tidy, one-story homes with lawns that are close-cut, everything really neat. But then I start to notice all these empty houses. There's a bunch of overgrown lots and plywood boards crossed over windows and doors. Some houses are charred, or there's just like a cinder block foundation. So maybe half the houses on each street are empty. Now see, it's so less people now here. So they, you know, now, I don't think it's nothing down here no more, but I'll take you there. Powell calls these areas the forgotten neighborhood. As we drive, white smoke pours from a smokestack of a coal plant. And all of a sudden, there's this smell. Can you smell it, Dip? It's sulfurous. It smells like rotten eggs. And Powell says this is normal. But it... It smells worse at night, cause see, they can get away with a lot of stuff at night. Of course, this isn't how a lot of the city smells. And it feels kind of horrible to notice, but downtown Birmingham and a lot of the wealthier neighborhoods, they just smell like barbecue and grass and honeysuckle. So Powell turns down a gravelly path cut through the trees. There are discarded tires and trash everywhere. And around all of this are these mountains of gray and black dirt. Piles of dirt. You never saw this, did you? No, you didn't. Now, what that look like? What is this, though? It's some of that coking stuff coming from slag, coming from the plant. So these piles of waste are owned by a coal company. But they're not part of coal processing. They're just waste, something called a wire fluff pile, when wires are stripped of their conductive metal and ground down into dust. Beneath these piles, the EPA says they found high levels of lead, but they haven't been able to move it because it's on private land, owned by the coal company. How did you find out this was back here? I've lived out here all my life till I moved. I didn't know it was back here. They know it. You think these people stay here and don't know this here? It's just people like y'all don't know it. Birmingham is this city with a long history of institutionalized racism. It still had racial zoning laws until 1951, meaning black families could only live in certain neighborhoods, like the neighborhoods Powell and I have been driving through. And during the 70s and 80s and even the 90s, the pollution was really intense in these neighborhoods. Powell remembers back when he was 30 or so, driving home late. At night, from 12 to about 2 o'clock in the morning, you could be coming down the road in the summer, in a uh, good summertime when it's 70 or 80 degrees at night, and you can just see it like it's just, just the whole night is kind of lit up like white. The smog, Powell says, felt like a light snow falling, or like someone had blown on a billion dandelions. And when it got on your clothes, he says, you'd itch all over. Many people I spoke with in the neighborhood had stories like this, how their clothes would be spotted with pollution. 
how their moms would make them take baths on the back porch before coming inside. But Powell didn't realize how bad things were until he got a job driving a delivery truck around Birmingham. And he started to notice that other neighborhoods weren't like his. For one thing, he says, the houses in other parts of town looked nicer. And I saw these houses and I wanted one. But more specifically, it was the smell. Wealthier neighborhoods in other parts of town didn't smell like his. It don't smell like rotten eggs and cabbages, but I'm still not, it's still not clicking on me what's going on over there. Eventually, Powell packed up and left. He wasn't worried about the pollution per se. He just wanted to live in a, quote, nicer area. Powell's aunt also left. But property is really inexpensive in the neighborhood. So people did move here. And a lot of people who have been here for generations, they've stayed. Some want to leave but can't sell their homes because no one will buy them. And even if they sold them, their property isn't worth enough to allow them to buy property in another neighborhood. Jones Monday is one of the people who stayed. He grew up here. His wife Catherine grew up here. And now they live in her family's house, a big craftsman home that's directly across the street from a coal plant. Monday's in his late 60s, and he's like a neighborhood Mr. Fix-It. He's outside almost all day, and he has this huge front yard, which is covered in flowers. These are, these are Chesapeake lilies. There are pecan trees, cedar trees, big honeysuckle bushes, and beds of fuchsia roses everywhere. This, this one of her mother's trees. Flower. A rose or a, a rose, uh-huh. You're pretty, eh? It's gorgeous. So it's actually Monday's wife, Catherine, who's the gardener. But she can only be outside for like an hour each day because she has COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder. Monday and his wife have grown kids, but none of them live here. And their kids are all worried about their parents' health, living so close to a coal plant. They want them to move. All I'm worried about is they said we need to you know, found us another place, but who's going to help you with a mortgage? When he first heard about the pollution, Monday wanted to move. But then he looked into it, and he realized that his house wasn't worth anywhere near what he thought or needed it to be worth. The EPA has been in the area monitoring the pollution from the coal plant and doing contained cleanups of pollution. But still, no one was really listening to the community. People in the neighborhoods kept asking the city and the federal government for help, for some kind of solution. But that's not what happened. So Charlie Powell has left because of the pollution. Jones Monday has stayed in North Birmingham, but his wife is sick with a chronic lung disease. And he describes the situation as being trapped there because his property isn't worth enough to sell it and buy in another area. So I got to ask Ashley, was the government doing anything to help? I mean, who was who was there fighting for this community? I mean, a lot of people have been here trying to get the government to do something about the pollution for decades. There was a city councilwoman from here. Her name was Maxine Parker. She used to go to D.C. year after year, and she would talk to her congressman about her community and pollution and how the neighborhood was suffering. I mean, everyone I met describes her as this champion of the community. But she ended up dying of cancer in 2013. I also met this man, Reverend E.O. Jackson. He grew up down the street from Monday, right across from the coal plant. 
He's moved away, but he keeps going back and talking to his former neighbors. Other than going over there for meetings, I'm over there for funerals. Cancer, 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 cancer. Jackson believes the cancer and a lot of other illnesses are caused by the pollution. His mother died of cancer at 59, almost the same age Jackson is now. He says it seems like there are a lot of kids in the neighborhood with asthma and learning disabilities. And now he thinks all of this must be connected to the pollution. So now all of us are sitting back, pondering and wondering, why do we have these high numbers of people who are passing away from cancer? Wait a minute. Have these chemicals played a role? So people in the neighborhood were nervous and scared. And they started asking questions and pushing for answers. Like, is it safe to live here? Are we okay? And local officials kept telling them that everything was fine. Then, in 2011, the EPA announces that they found toxic levels of arsenic and benzopyrene, both known carcinogens, in the dirt at a local school. So then the federal government comes into the community to do more testing. And all of a sudden, boom, we have an office, it's staffed. You just don't get these people coming. There had to be something there. The EPA declares these neighborhoods a Superfund site, meaning now the community can get federal funds to clean up the pollution and the EPA can make industry pay for it. Residents are told not to eat the vegetables in their gardens. Parents are told that their kids should wash their hands and kick the dirt off their shoes before coming inside. So people in the neighborhood are horrified. But they're also relieved that the EPA had at least showed up. Like, finally their fears were real. And now something was going to be done about it. But then the soil test started to come back. Because, see, the federal government and the county health department, they said that the neighborhood, on the whole, was fine. The soil tests were inconsistent. One test would show that a yard had high levels of contamination. But then a yard like Jones Mondays, right across the street from a coal plant, was declared clean. So because some yards were deemed okay, the EPA explained to people in the neighborhoods that the pollution wasn't critical, that it could be cleaned up and contained. People in the community were stunned. Wait a minute. These reports are coming back. Nothing? What? Years, 100 years of most of these plants existing and nothing is here? A block away, two blocks away? That's where, and, and we fought hard to keep it from just becoming an all-out discrimination piece, but that's when things got to be pretty hard to swallow. Officials said that yes, there may have been pollution in the past, but that now they were working to keep industries in compliance. The health department and the CDC also reported that there was no indication that the pollution had caused people in the neighborhood to have a higher risk of cancer or other health problems. I'm going to jump in here for a sec. That must have been really hard for that community to hear. But on the other hand, these are really tough dots to connect anywhere. I mean, we know that our environment affects our health, but singling out one specific factor and saying, you know, this coal plant or that pile of wire fluff caused a specific health outcome is really hard to do. Sure. But people in the community said they knew this would never even have been an issue in a wealthier neighborhood. Yeah. And people who work in environmental justice, like Majora Carter, right, they say the same thing, that the pollution just wouldn't be there in the first place. 
and that if it were, public agencies and polluters would be held accountable. But that hasn't been the case, it sounds like, in North Birmingham. Right. Jackson says he and others asked for proof, like death certificates, that the pollution hadn't made everyone sick. And they never got anything. So today, the EPA's still in Birmingham, testing soil house by house. According to them, one-third of the properties they've tested are contaminated. And you know what happens when they decide a lawn is contaminated? They just dig it up, like the whole thing. Remove all the topsoil and replace it with new dirt. Tens of thousands of pounds of dirt from somewhere else. But those questions that residents have been asking for years. Are we okay? Should we move? While the government's never come out and said this community should be moved, a recent study by the CDC did find that high levels of arsenic and benzopyrene in some yards could lead to an increased rate of cancer. So what now then, Ashley? I mean, let's zoom out here for a minute and talk about the EPA and what it would mean if the funding were cut. So, I mean, it's still unclear what would happen to the EPA's budget. Like you mentioned, the Trump administration's proposed cutting it by 30 percent. Mm-hmm. No one knows if that will happen, but everyone I spoke to said that if the budget is cut, environmental justice would likely be one of the first programs on the chopping block. For now, though, the community has a grant, $400,000 to improve infrastructure, like a new community center and an overpass over the railroad tracks. And so what's happening in the community now? I mean, the EPA is still there, testing soil for contamination. And the environmental justice program has helped people organize into a sort of neighborhood coalition. They're trying to set up meetings with a new coal company that recently bought the plant. They want to see if maybe they can get them to remove the piles of polluted waste. So for the time being, the EPA is actually working as a sort of mediator. And it's giving locals some real backing on the issue. So really, it sounds like this story is still unfolding. I I wonder what's life like in the neighborhood now? What was the sense you got when you were there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think back to the end of one of these days when I was in North Birmingham. I just started driving back to my mom's place on the other side of town. And, you know, in addition to all the, the coal plants there, there's like a bunch of scrapyards in the area. So I'm driving and I see one of them actually catch on fire. Mm-hmm. Like a plume of black smoke is pouring over these neighborhoods. And it was totally unexpected and kind of scary. And when I saw it, I thought back to this moment when I was driving around with Charlie Powell. I had asked him multiple times how he thinks race is connected to the pollution in North Birmingham. And at first he said it's not, quote, a racial thing. It's a human thing. And of course, he's right. It is a human thing. But still, I I pressed him. I mean, race is mixed up in all of this. Well... It is. I mean, okay, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Well, I mean, y'all could use it and get away with it. I like not to say it. This episode was reported by Ashley Cleek. And it's our final episode in our very first season. It has been an incredible ride, and we're so happy to have had you all along with us. We'll be back in the fall with a fresh new season for you. But in the meantime, we want to celebrate. So if you're in Seattle on Wednesday, July 26th, come to the Fremont Brewing Urban Beer Garden from 5 to 9 p.m. Our friends at the Fremont Brewery are committed to sustainability, and they're offering a special gift to terrestrial subscribers. You can learn more about that at KUOW.org terrestrial. 
So come on down for some good beer, some good conversation, and maybe some new friends. I know I'm looking forward to meeting some of you. Terrestrial is edited by Annie Aviles. Our producer and sound designer is Jonathan Hirsch. Lila Cherneff is our fact checker. Kristen Lepore leads our audience development. And Augusta Chapman is our associate producer. Our managing editor is Brendan Sweeney. Our theme music is by the band Tremor. Terrestrial was developed with support from the NPR Story Lab and were produced out of KUOW in Seattle. I'm Ashley Ahern. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you all in the fall. Support for Terrestrial comes from the Evergreen State College, a public liberal arts college in Olympia, Washington, providing an academically rigorous and individually tailored education, preparing students for life spent serving, creating, and innovating. Learn more at evergreen.edu.